0: Mighty Everlasting Father, we praise you and we thank you for all of your mercies, for all of your grace, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that illuminates our mind and hearts. We pray, O God, as the word is preached this morning, as those who hear would hear with great diligence and without distraction, and that the word would be preached As becomes the gospel of Christ, that we may, O God, hear your word and your voice in the scriptures to us. We pray that you would bless both the preaching and the hearing. And we ask that you would bind our hearts to your word as to the covenant that we've read earlier. And we ask, O Lord, that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to do this to your glory and to your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Second Kings. We're going to be looking at chapter 22, verse 1, through chapter 23, verse 25. This is actually the longest passage of scripture that I've ever preached from. But I think it would be an injustice to the text for me simply to pull out chapter 23, verses 24 and 25, which we'll talk a little bit more about, without having it in this context. Follow along as we read chapter 22, verse 1, through 23, verse 25. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah of Boschath, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right, to the right hand, or to the left now it came to pass in the eighteenth year of King Uz- Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the scribe, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshalam, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house to carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need be no accounting made with them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Now it happened, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Achbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah, servant of the king, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that has been found. For so great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us, because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to hold of the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Haras, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke with her. Then she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse. And you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers. And you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see the calamity which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great, and he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which has been found in the house of the Lord. Then the king stood by a pillar. And he made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priests of the second order and the doorkeepers, to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal, for Asherah, and for all the host of heaven. And he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he removed the idolaters' priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in all the places around Jerusalem and to those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, and to the constellations, and to all the host of heaven. And he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem, burned it at the brook Kidron to ground it to ashes and threw its ashes on the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord, where the women wove hangings for the wooden image. And he brought out all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense, from Geba to Beersheba. Also, he broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among the brethren. And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire of Molech. Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Malach, the officer who was in the court. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire the altars that were on the roof the upper chamber of Ahaz which the kings of Judah had made and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord the king broke down and pulverized there and threw their dust into the brook Kidron then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem Which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, king of Israel, built for Ashtaroth, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars, and cut down the wooden images, and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel, and the high place, Which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel's sin, had made. Both that altar and the high place he broke down. And he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were there on the mountain. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar. And defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed. Who proclaimed these words. Then he said, what gravestone Is this that I see? So the men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, Let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Now Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them, and he returned to Jerusalem. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had never been held since the day of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the eighteenth year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law, which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to the law of Moses. Nor after him did any arise like him. So is the reading of the word. I want to approach this text in in three different ways. I want to talk about the text considered itself, then I want to talk about three doctrines that I find in the text, and then I also want to apply the text to us. Josiah becomes king in chapter 22, verses 1 and 2, opens the reign of Josiah with the conventional introductory formula for the reign of a king from Judah. Previously, we had Manasseh, the longest reign, the most wicked king, and then his son, Ammon, and then Josiah. Josiah had come into the picture where the temple was in disarray. In chapter 22, uh, verses 3-7 to recounts the redistribution of the temple collection to facilitate the repairs of the temple. They had to fix it the author of Kings quickly moves to the most outstanding example of Josiah's godly fidelity, his repair of the temple in his 18th year, which would have been roughly 622 BC. Now we also want to be reminded that in 2 Chronicles 34 and verse 3, it says that at age 16... He was already demonstrating his piety to the God of Israel. Listen to what the text says there. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, I mean, this is a 16-year-old boy, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. Now the text says of his father David, not of his father Ammon or his father Manasseh, but of David. The spiritual example, a man after God's own heart, Josiah was like David. And then, in the midst of this repair of the temple, chapter 22, verses 8 to 11, Josiah reads the law. And these verses contain the king's reaction to finding the law book. This was the book of Moses, as chapter 23, 24, and 25 make known. It is the the law of Moses. And so it's read. And the king's reaction to his relationship to the word of Yahweh is most important. Josiah tore his clothes. Now, he was 26 years old. He was a young man. But he was a man who had a heart like David. It was an act of deep contrition and lamenting for sin, it says that he wept, he tore his clothes. What is the reaction to hearing the word of the Lord? There was no question in his mind as to what the book of the law said. None. The scriptures are not convoluted and difficult so as to restrict any immediate action when things are so plain. Right after he read it, he tore his clothes. If you remember, under Jeremiah's ministry, Jehoiakim, he burned the words of the scroll when Jeremiah wrote them down and they were delivered to him. He understood the message as well and he hated what God was saying. But Josiah understood its message and is repentant for sin. And as a result of hearing these words, he then sends a convoy to Huldah, the prophetess, to find out what God will do. We are in trouble, Josiah is thinking. And in chapter 22, verses 12 to 20, Holder the prophetess confirms the impending doom. God will not relent of the wickedness of Judah. And those threatenings press Josiah to act. Now, God's not going to allow Josiah to see the calamity that's coming. Calamity is still going to come regardless. But even in that, Josiah will still set up reform. God's judgment is going to be dissuaded, but it doesn't matter because he's read the book of the law and he knows what he's supposed to do. And so in chapter 23, in verse 1, 2, verse 3, we find Josiah's covenant. And the inauguration of a covenant with all the people. Josiah stands by the column of the temple signifying authority. And he renews the covenant at Sinai. A covenant is a pact or agreement between two parties. And not only Josiah enact this pact with God before him at the temple. But the text says amazingly the people took a stand in it. And here these words, taking a stand, means to be in a standing attitude, or even has connotations of becoming a slave to it. They enslaved themselves to the covenant that was given. They were utterly bound to uphold the word of God. And they set themselves in such a covenant and then we find Josiah and his covenanted reformation in chapter 23, verses 4 to 20, where it gives an account of the purging of the cult in Jerusalem and of Judah, of all the Canaanite practices, all the wicked pagan practices. He brought out, brought out of the temple all the articles of other gods intruding on God's worship, religious syncretism, terrible a terrible thing where they take pagan ideas and they mix them with religious ideas and he took those out of the temple and burned them then he removed the idolatrous priests he recalled think about this the Levitical priests were out there doing pagan things at the high places He recalled the Levitical priests from their duties at those high places. And even places missed by Hezekiah previously, he now thoroughly destroys. He's not content with destroying the high places and burning the Asherah pole, but he exhumes the human bones from the graves situated on the mountain. He burns them on the altar... And he scatters them over the high places. Now, why did he do that? He did that because you can't touch bones lest you become unclean. So he took them and scattered them over these high places so that he would utterly defile them, that nobody would ever pick them up again and ever use them ever again. He burned the wooden images and threw them on the common graves. The grinding to dust is a gesture of absolute destruction, of turning something from its form into chaos. And if you recall, it's exactly what Moses had the Israelites do when they worshipped the golden calf. To take it and to crush their idolatry. And he even made them to drink it. But such gestures at this were not to defile the graves of the common people, because it's contact with dead bodies which defiles. Rather, the Asherah, now grounded dust, was placed where it belonged in the outlook of this reformer. It was placed with the dead. He was destroying it. It was going to be a dead religion altogether. He defiled the pagan altars, removed the priests, pulverized the altars, and scattered their dust. He executed all the priests of the high places, And burned their bones as well. And he rid the country of spiritists and mediums, household gods, and all abominations, as the text says, seen in the land. It was a thorough reform, and no stone was left unturned. And so after he goes through all of this reformation, he has a celebration. In chapter 23, verses 21 to 23 provides a brief reference to the inauguration of a Passover celebration in Jerusalem at the king's initiative. He reestablished right worship and the center of worship as Jerusalem according to the book of the law. Right worship. If everything's okay and various styles and tastes are okay in the life of the church and its worship, the Bible just doesn't matter. But Josiah knew that it didn't matter. But even in today's church culture, everything's tossed into the life and worship of the church, but it's not okay. And in most of the time, it's abominable things that are tossed in. It's not what men can do or think that they should do, but what God desires and what He wants. And so Josiah's first inauguration of positive worship is the institution of sacramental blood and atonement. So they had a Passover, and the Lamb was slain, typifying Christ. Sacrificial atonement was his first act of worship. It wasn't parades or puppet shows. It was worship that God had instituted. And so, the Holy Spirit, through the writer of the book of 2 Kings, in chapter 23, 24, and 25, demonstrates... A notation upon Josiah. He had these further reforms, but it contains an editorial comment on the piety of the king. I read it again. Now, before him, there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. And that word turned to the Lord means to turn back or return or repent there was no king like him not before not after ever he is the epitome of reformation and so that's the text but I also want to look now at pulling out some of the key doctrines that we find in the text and I know with where your minds are at it's not going to be too difficult to know where I'm going to go with some of these points doctrine number one true biblical reformation is only accomplished through the word of God only accomplished through the word of God the things that interest a theologically disinterested contemporary American church is not right worship and it's not conformity to God's law there's far too much Jesus loves me this I know because my heart Tells me so. I know it's right worship because it feels so good. I know it's a good church because their pastor is friendly. I know it's a God honoring church because so many other people feel the same way that I do. The biblical reformation in following God's standard is by the Word. But we ask the question what is Biblical reformation by the word. Well, the actual Hebrew word that's used in the Old Testament for the word reformed, or reformation, means to be chastened, admonished, or corrected by the Bible. And to conform to that chastening, that correction, or that admonition. If Josiah did nothing after hearing the word of God, no reformation would have taken place. Think about for a second what Josiah actually had. What did he have? He was in the center of religious worship. He was in Jerusalem, city of David. He had the temple, a church building. Big one at that. One of a kind. More grand than the Willow Creek Church with its restaurants and snack bars. Or the crystal cathedral with its towering glimmers and columns of glass. He even had a desire to repair the temple. He appealed to the people for a collection and the people responded, so there was even a, a measure of religiosity about it. The temple is in disarray, we need to fix that. People sometimes, or oftentimes, feel guilty or want simply to be included in giving or, or big projects in the church. But it was coupled with religious syncretism, mixing what was right with what was evil. Pagan rites and elements of right worship. Yet remember, to mix worship in this way is to utterly destroy it. And religion in general was so utterly devastated by Manasseh and Ammon that Josiah was repairing the temple brought to disarray from neglect what he was doing, he was fixing it because it was just standing there, no one was taking care of it but they were religious people there were religious people all over the place people can be religious and not ever see any hint of true biblical reformation back to the word people all over the world are religious but that doesn't mean that God is pleased nor does it mean he accepts their worship or even accepts them People in America are so used to what they want They forget and are numbed To what God's commands are Or simply They just never learn it It's never taught to them Josiah had a big big church He had, a, he had an impressive church He also had elders Priests And even high priests Religious instructors That's, He had that too A lot of them Many churches have religious instructors who can teach you how you can have purpose in 40 days, or how you can pray a magic prayer and increase your borders. But true biblical reformation is only going to be accomplished through the Word. There are no shortcuts to it. Pithy quotes, magic prayers, contemporary plans of corporate success for the church, they don't matter. God does not care about that. They are simply a distraction formulated by a smart devil to neutralize the power of God in the church. It doesn't matter how popular or charismatic a preacher might be in a 21st century church either. How many people he can persuade to visit his church. How many popular preachers are there across the United States alone? How many are there? There are zillions of them. You look in the book catalogs that come to your house and the top 20 list. There are zillions of them. And yet, the country doesn't even have so much as a reformed ripple about it. And people think that they're being blessed by that kind of ministry. And in Josiah's day, they thought that too. They thought they were being blessed. Such churches ought to post across their for your Manasseh was here. Or Ichabod, the glory has departed. For without the word of God, such charisma will never be pleasing or acceptable to God. He desires true biblical reformation. He desires the truth to be taught. He dispenses the truth into his church. And that's what he wants to see taught and adhered to. Josiah even had religious objects. He had altars and sacrificial stones and wooden images and incense and all of those things. Or, likened to that, fancy pews, crystal pulpits, Christian bumper stickers, gold crosses hanging from your ears or neck. And what would Jesus do? Bracelets. Those are rubbish. Without the word, they're just gadgets for God. That's all they are. Or, as some people would think. Josiah had lots of things in his face, but he didn't have anything in his ears traveling into his brain and fueling his heart to worship God and to ignite his heart to worship him rightly. And Josiah didn't have the word of God initially. You can walk into Walmart and you can pick up a five dollar copy of the word. You can walk into Walmart and get one. In churches all over the world, continually neglected to satisfy their own tastes, their own corporate style of leadership, their own method of worship, and they're sacrificing people on the altars of ignorance towards the word. That's what they're doing. Droves of people follow the pied pipers of the American church today. The world church like rats into the river. It's no wonder that God says, My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. But when he heard the word of the Lord, he was struck down in lamentation and bitter weeping, and he tore his clothes. A catalyst for reformation is always the word of God. It was Luther's wrestling with the righteousness of God and the word of God that sparked the massive overhaul in the reformation of the church. It wasn't a new style of salvation and worship, but getting back to the old style. And in chapter 23 of our text, in verse 25, it uses such an excellent term over and over, such a very basic term. It actually uses it four times in one verse. The whole of it, or all the law of Moses. Not some of it, not part of it. He was careful to do what was written in all of it. Every bit of it. And we see what kind of a reformation he had. Complete and thorough. But true biblical reformation is only accomplished through God's Word. Only there. That's our first doctrine. Here's our second. True biblical reformation is always joined to a solemn resolve to continue to follow God's Word. Josiah did not simply make a few adjustments but performed by oath a solemn league with the people of Israel to return to serving God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. 2 Kings 23.3 Then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And the people, amazingly, and all the people took a stand for the covenant. Is there anything wrong with following the command of God here? Because the people have wavered in the king's intent? Were they not sure what he was doing? No. No. It was a lawful oath that they took. A lawful oath being imposed by a lawful authority in such matters ought to be taken. And the people took it. The reason churches today won't go back to Westminster's Solemn League and Covenant is because it's a straitjacket to them. Vows are straitjackets. It is to them God in a box, so to speak. They want to open the door so wide that anything comes flowing in that the Spirit wants. But they forget, or maybe simply ignorant, the Spirit has already written down what He wants from the church in the Word. That's why people don't covenant. The Confession says, A lawful oath is part of religious worship, wherein, upon a just occasion, the person swearing solemnly calls God to witness what He asserts or promises, and to judge Him according to the truth or falsehood of what He swears. It utterly destroys his individualism to do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. And in Josiah's mind, there is no doubt that he had such verses in his mind after reading the law or hearing the law read as Deuteronomy 10.20. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. That was what was echoing in Josiah's mind. After all that Israel had done in not walking in the way of righteousness, he made a covenant with God. And the people made a covenant with God to walk in his ways. And you know what that upholds? That upholds Exodus 20 and verse 7, which he also heard. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. Not taking his name, or taking his name in vain, are both a violation of that commandment. And two very great sins. That's why membership vows before God and the people of God are very solemn and very important. And in some churches, they've jettisoned the covenant vow before God and jettisoned it before the church. They don't want to have anything to do with it. Why? Why? Because it destroys the individualism. It destroys the ability to just do whatsoever you want. Instead, Josiah, after repentance, gathers the people and places them under a solemn vow. A covenant oath. And they did it together. And they did it at the foundation of God's house. That they would indeed follow the commandments of God such a solemn resolve is the only true catalyst for true biblical reformation. Because if a man isn't held to the task by covenant, then at any time he can simply walk away without any repercussion. He didn't promise. Not held to anything. In churches all across the globe today, the solemn setting apart or covenanting, as the old school used to say, we've covenanted together, has been abandoned. Because failure to uphold the covenant would result in discipline. And discipline is not something people want to get involved with on a daily and weekly basis if somebody isn't upholding the covenant. Churches don't feel safe by vowing to covenant obligations. Keeping the peace is much more important than biblical reformation. But that's not what our text shows. Our text shows that there wasn't a king like him before him or after him. This is the Holy Spirit's testimony on Josiah. The covenant, or lawful, bo- lawful vow, binds the party to the oath. Without a solemn vow to God and the things of religion, it's just talk. It's religiosity. But theology must incorporate action. Josiah heard the law read, he repented, and then he made a solemn covenant, a solemn oath, to continue to abide in the commandments of God. See, there's a pattern there's a pattern to it. To do what, though? What was it? To follow the Lord and to keep His commandments and His testimonies and His statutes. How? With all His heart and with all His soul. Where have we heard that before? Who has said that? How about Jesus? Where's the greatest commandment? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: Loving the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. This is what Josiah did. This is where Jesus is quoting from. He's summarizing the the tables of the law. And this is exactly what the writer of Kings is doing as well. And making that editorial comment on Josiah. He kept the law. He upheld it. The church then, in its desire to follow Christ, is bound to oath and vow before the living God to fulfill its task. You can't just say, I'm part of the church because I go there. The greatest commandment to love God with all of our heart and mind demonstrates that lawful oaths are central to a true confession by anyone who calls himself a Christian. How could a Christian truly be on the road of biblical reformation without a solemn resolve publicly before God and with the people of God? A binding resolve to uphold the word. He will never be thorough if he is left to his own whims and desires, to how far or how long he decides that Reformation should go. It's not that just Luther would stand up and say, here I stand, I can do no other. Afterwards, they put together the Augsburg Confession, and they stood before the king and said, this is how it is. This is our confession together publicly before you. This is our oath. And the king said, bow your knee to me, or I chop off your head. And so they knelt down and they said, chop off our head. This is our solemn vow. True biblical reformation is always joined to a solemn resolve to continue to follow God's word. Always. Our third doctrine. True biblical reformation is always a thorough reform. It's an oxymoron to say partial reformation. That's an oxymoron. It's like jumbo shrimp. It doesn't work, really. Partial reformation is nothing. In our passage, Josiah restored true worship. It was a thorough cleaning up of the wickedness that went before. To replace it with godliness and true biblical reformation and serving the living God, how? as God so desires Josiah upheld upon pain of death as a result of his solemn vow to uphold the word of God as God so dictated it from beginning to end God's will in worship is what we're after and any sanctifying act there must be a hearty resolve to thorough reform or else it's just hypocrisy You cannot kind of have reformation. It's like Augustine when he said, I want chastity, but not yet. I want to change. I want to change a little, but not in every area. Think about the doctrine of repentance, that alone. What is repentance? Is it just confessing your sins before God? That's not what repentance is. Repentance is sight of sin and sorrow for sin and confession of sin and shame for sin and hatred of sin and turning for sin. If you, if you don't turn from it, you're not really repenting. Lord, I want to have right worship, but I'm going to skip fixing the temple or cleaning out the pagan artifacts within it. I'm only going to take care of some things, but not all things. I'm really not resolved to take care of it all, but only some of it. We're going to lose a lot of people You know, we we clean out all this pagan stuff these people are used to the pagan stuff we're going to lose a lot of people as a result churches say we want biblical worship but let's add in the puppet shows and parades so that we can attract more people to the church and make it more entertaining religious syncretism that's exactly what it is it's exactly the same sin that was going on in Josiah's day religious syncretism of this kind has always been the downfall of the church Josiah knew that and thoroughly cleansed the land and temple of everything that God did not require in worship. And you know how far he went? He didn't just do it in the, in the church. He didn't just do it in the high places and in the temple. It says that he removed the household gods. He went into your house and took out everything that needed to be cleaned. God determines how sinners approach him, not sinners. Josiah understood that from reading the law. Josiah was probably quite afraid of what God was going to do to the land as a result of their wickedness. And even after finding out what the prophet said about God's impending judgment, still, he still thoroughly reformed because that was the right thing to do. It doesn't matter what the fallout is. It doesn't matter if you're going to lose 500 people in your 600-people church. It doesn't matter. Lose the church. Lose the people. Nothing that Josiah did would stop the judgment from coming. But Josiah was blessed not to see it. Instead, regardless of impending doom, the only way to go, after he had heard the words of the Lord, was to thoroughly reform everything. Josiah was so thorough that he dug up that which was unclean, the graveyard bones, and had them burned and scattered over the high places so that they couldn't be used again. Not only did he destroy those places, but he ensured that they would never rise up again. It's not enough to just simply say, we're not going to have puppet shows, and then at some point, they sneak in to the Sunday school class, or this, that, or the other. Josiah utterly wipes them out. By the direction of the word, by a solemn oath to the word of God, he did it thoroughly. Hypocrisy, in this manner, is saying with one side of the mouth that you uphold the Westminster Confession of Faith and with the other side violate the regulative principle or the scriptural law of worship. That's hypocrisy. That's not reformation, it's compromise. True, biblical reformation is always a thorough reform. And so we have those three doctrines and now we apply or look at the application of it to us in particular. The text is so plain, and what we've talked about is so plain, it's almost needless to apply it. We really need to ask, in everything we stand for, in everything we covenant with God in, are we resolved to thoroughly follow God's word no matter where it takes us, no matter what? When the reformation of the church happened in France and Germany in Switzerland the reformed church was going strong and after a while in England Ireland there were problems because of compromise and so long parliament called together the Westminster Divines, to put together a Reformed Confession so that England, Ireland, and Scotland would all be of one mind following the testimony of the best Reformed churches all over Europe. In other words, they wanted to do something and put together an order of worship and a theology that would follow the best Reformed churches everywhere else that were already doing that. But as the assembly was drawn together, The Scottish commissioners basically said that without a solemn league and covenant on our proposed purpose, it would be impossible for us to continue. And so they had Alexander Henderson draw up a draft of the solemn league and covenant. What was this for? Here's the the first couple of sentences. The solemn league and covenant for the reformation and defense of religion and the advancement of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ what they did here was our solemn oath together here was as Josiah stood at the temple vowing with the people that this is what was going to take place according to the word of God they did the same they couldn't put together a theological formulation of worship and a theological formulation of what the church was going to believe following the best reformed churches without bowing together without solemnly setting their mind and heart apart to God No matter what, we are resolved to do it. You can't put up with compromising ministers, or bad preaching, or unbiblical worship, or poor theology, or a hundred other plagues in the church if you understand the point of Josiah's Reformation. You can't do it. Our church covenant binds us together to a sanctifying reform for the glory of Christ. That we should be like Christ. And Josiah, you know, was a type of Christ. He was zealous for God's house, wasn't he? Zealous for it. And Christ, in turn, loved God so perfectly that the scripture says of him, quoting Psalm 69.9, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Was Josiah zealous for God's honor and, and his name? 2 Kings twenty three twenty five I quote again. Now before him there was no king like him. None. He turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might according to the law of Moses. no after him did any arise like him. This is an astounding statement. It is certainly by grace that Josiah managed this, but the commentator, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes that statement. The Spirit wanted us to know that there wasn't anybody like Josiah ever. Was Jesus zealous for God's honor and name? John 2.17 Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. When he saw all of the abuses going on in the temple. God's worship being desecrated they could see it in Christ's true biblical reformation that overflowed in his teachings and his actions so we ask are we zealous for God's honor and God's name will the Holy Spirit consider us like this now before him there was no Christian like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart with all his soul with all his might according to the law of Moses nor after did any arise like him are we as Christians can the Holy Spirit say that about us I pray that in all we do our conviction stands the same to our covenant with God as members of Christ covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church that we would uphold the scriptural law of worship in our church that we would uphold the highest standards of godliness in our lives that we would have true biblical reformation by holding unswervingly to the word of God in every area of our life And that we would do it, as our text says, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Most thoroughly. Might we take a lesson from Josiah. Before him and after him, there was none like him. Let's pray. Mighty God and everlasting Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy and your word. And the spark in our soul that we might desire true biblical reformation according to the word regardless of where it takes us regardless of what we have to do as a result of it we pray O god that you would give us the strength mercy and grace to do so we so desire to uphold it we so desire to serve you we've covenanted together to do it and we so ask that your spirit would aid us For we know that our good works are not from us, but wholly from the Spirit of Christ. And we so pray he would spark in us this every day of our lives, that no matter where we are and what we do, no matter where we are in our vocation or home or church or wheresoever, that you would aid us to be biblically reformed in everything. Help us to uphold it. Help us to do it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.